Good morning to all of you. It's good to be here, and I appreciate this opportunity to think with you about sin. Actually, this morning, instead of thinking about all of our sins, I want us to think about the fact that secret sins are secret from men only. We need to enlarge our concept of God if we're going to deal with secret sins. There's no way that we can get people to be motivated to quit sinning and to turn to righteous living until we have a higher concept of God Almighty. I want us to read, therefore, from Psalms 90, beginning with verse 1. In the inscription, this psalm is attributed to David, uh, to Moses. It's the only one of the psalms that Moses is said to have written. But at the beginning of it, the inscription from ancient manuscripts says that this was a prayer of Moses, the man of God. But regardless of who wrote it, we do know that it exalts God. Listen to it. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place from all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth or the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is from eternity in the direction of the past, and he is eternal in the direction of the future too. He had no beginning and he'll have no end. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then in verse 4, uh, verse 3, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for, thou, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. For a thousand years, uh, verse 5, Thou carriest them away with a flood, as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are as grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. But if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, Yet is thy strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Then in verse 11, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's stop right there this morning with the reading. This shows the greatness of God, exalts Him, but it also mentions secret sins. Down there in verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before Thee, 
our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. There are many different kinds of sins. If we talk about various kinds, we could talk about sins of the spirit or sins of the flesh, sins of omission or sins of commission, public sins or private sins. But this morning I want us to think about secret sins. And I point out again this morning that they may be the most dangerous sins any of us ever commit because we're left on our own puny resources to quit them, to straighten up. And the passages in the Bible that might help us to repent and that might motivate us to turn from them or that might warn of the danger and the damnation that they'll lead to, those may be verses I might not read once every three years unless you read the Bible through every year. We might not even think of it. The preacher doesn't know that I need a lesson on that because my sins are secret. This kind of sin secret. My wife doesn't know to encourage me to quit or pray for me to straighten up. It's secret. And I'm not sure but what some of our sins may be secret from ourselves, secret from us. I know once I thought in praying and studying the subject of prayer, I got the idea, just held it for a day or two, but I got the idea that in order to be forgiven of any sin, I had to name that sin to God. And I wouldn't get forgiveness unless I've mentioned the sin that I was guilty of. And a day or two later, I got to thinking about it. And you know, I'd have to be as wise as God to know all the chances I had to, and passed by to do good or to encourage somebody. And sins of omission were so common. I saw right then, I, I didn't have days long enough to mention all my sins. And I might not even be aware of them. In Psalms 19, there's a statement that, to my mind, suggests this may be true. He said, let's start with verse, uh, he's talking about the Word of God, the statutes of the Lord, and the commandments of the Lord. In verse 10, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is great reward. Who can understand his errors? I don't even know all the blunders I make, the mistakes I make, the opportunities I had to do good and passed it by. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secrets false. It may be secret from me. But, oh God, keep me cleansed from them anyway. Whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm penitent of whatever mistakes I do know, and therefore cleanse thou me from hidden faults or secret faults. Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now that's presumptuous sins means that I presume, I imagine, I suppose I'll have a chance to straighten that out later. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and dance Saturday night. I, I'm going, I, I, I'll, I'll have a chance to get make it right before I go to sleep tonight. I'll repent of it. And then tomorrow morning I'll make a confession at church. Presumptuous sins. Just imagine presuming that I can straighten it out later. I'll, go, I, I'll get drunk. 
I'll curse and swear because it's a popular thing on the job, but I presume it'll be all right, and, and I'll repent of it tonight and ask God tonight to forgive me of it. Presumptuous and hardening your heart like that. Knowing it's wrong and stultifying your conscience, stupefying your own sensitiveness to sin. David said, don't let me get, get, don't let me get into that fix. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And I shall be innocent from the great transgression. I'll not ever fall into serious blunders if I keep my heart, <coughs> excuse me, my heart sensitive to sin. My conscience sensitive. And so keep me back from presumptuous sins. That'll help me overcome all the other kind too. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. You can see that David wrote much concerning things that deal with a man's heart and his very attitude before the Lord. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, the very first thing he said was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then he said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And if somebody else makes one, don't you bow down to it. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. And then he warned, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And I'll visit the iniquities of the, of the fathers upon the children and the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Now he said, he didn't say he'd make them guilty of the sin. It's not the guilt, but the effect, the consequences. A man might commit murder. His wife, and he's sent to the penitentiary for it, and his wife then, she's not sent to the pen too. Yet she bears shame and reproach. She's humiliated. The children growing up, somebody says to one of the boys, uh, who's that that gave you that black eye? And names this son of that murderer, man's in the pen. His friends say, don't you know his daddy's a murderer? See, see, the children bear the reproach, bear the shame. God says, I'll visit the iniquities, not the guilt. Because Ezekiel 18:20 says, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. And the same verse says, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. We need that last part of the verse too. We need to remember that the father shall not bear the iniquity of the son either. And that same verse in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20. But our sins are not secret from God. We need to remember this. Our secret sins... They may not be as secret from all other people as we think they are. They may not be as covered up as they, you think they are. This is a small world we live in. In 1962, my mother and father were given a trip to Palestine, and I borrowed the money and went with them. And Brother Gaddis Roy, whom many of you know, also went. The four of us in our group traveling together for a five-week trip over to Palestine. Visited ten countries, but spent most of the time, three weeks of it, in Palestine. And it was a wonderful trip. While we were in Rome, 
We went to St. Peter's Cathedral, as most tourists do, and all of us are interested in it, of course, from the standpoint of history, not biblical at all. But out in St. Peter's Square, they're just elbow room. You just could, could wedge yourself into the crowd and make your way up toward the steps of St. Peter's Cathedral. I wrote Mary the next, uh, that night that uh, there must have been 10,000 people there in that church house. 10,000 people finally got inside of it, I imagine. I picked up the newspaper the next morning after I mailed that card that night, that letter that night. It said there's 73,000 people inside. <laughs> there are no pews. We visited the five biggest Catholic church houses in Rome and there's not a pew in any of them. Everybody stands up. There's no, no, no chairs, no seats. Everybody stands. And there we were jammed up. And that auditorium is two and a half blocks long and a block and a half wide. And standing room only. And so I, I had to revise my figures and send it right or back and send her the clipping from the newspaper that said that there's 73,000, I believe there's 73,000 in, inside there. You imagine that mob out there in front of the church house on St. Peter's Square as we were making our way up, and then suddenly you heard some voice and you saw a hand go up and say, Hi, Brother Nichols! My dad was taller than I, and I'm sure it was somebody recognized him instead of me, but uh, we all waved and tried to see who it was. We don't know to this day who that was. This is a small world. There we were all the way over in Rome and somebody recognized him. And uh, so it's a very small world after all. But you can't hide your sins from everybody. I knew a man one time who took another man's wife and went to a motel in another town. And as he came outside, a salesman uh, from the town where he lived saw him this man and woman coming out of that motel together. And they had gone off, committed adultery, and spent a night in the motel, and then this salesman saw them. It wasn't hidden. And nearly everybody in town's going to know about any extramarital affair. It's nothing but adultery. This word affair is just a, a, a polite word that people have invented to cover up the sin of adultery. And that's what God calls it, adultery, fornication. And it's not as secret from people as you think it is. The man that drinks, he may think nobody knows it. It's hard to cover it up. You can't slip around and, and commit sin of any kind and keep it secret from everybody. But suppose you do. It may be more dangerous if you do because there'll be no influences to prevail on you to repent. But it's not a secret from God any of the time. And hence, God warns, don't you even take the uh, worship of heathen God that somebody else made, for I will know about it and I'll visit the consequences of it on you and your children, your grandchildren. I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children. The consequences of it will be borne by others for generations yet to come. In Proverbs 15 and 3, we have this statement about our God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. 
I heard about a man who took his son with him to steal some watermelons one summer. And he looked every way to the right and to the left and in front of him and behind him and, and said, let's go on over there. And so they started into the field and the little boy said to his daddy, Daddy, there's one way you didn't look, one direction you didn't look. And his daddy thought somebody was coming. He said, where, where, where? He said, you didn't look up. And the man said to his son, you're right. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Let's get out of here. And so you better look up. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now, don't forget that part of it. God knows the good, too. You never offer any relief to someone. You never give a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, but that you'll get a reward for it. God knows that. You never pray, but that God knows it. Listen to 1 Peter 3. In verses 9 to 11, he said, he that, the, he that would love life and seek good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that to speak no guile. You see, God could hear that. If you want to live right and have a good conscience, you keep your tongue from evil and your lips not speak any guile. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. God can hear you pray. If I didn't believe my God can hear me pray and bless me because I prayed, I wouldn't be afraid to curse and take his name in vain. He couldn't hear that either. He couldn't punish me for doing that. If he can't bless me because I do right, know that and bless me because of it, then he couldn't know the other and punish me because of that. And so we need a higher concept of God Almighty. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15 and 3. In Psalms 50 and verse 1, God rebuked, or rather verse 21, God rebuked the Israelites. He said, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. You thought I was just like you are. You thought I was a man. Can't you see Adam making that blunder in the Garden of Eden after they had sinned and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? What did Adam do? Hid himself. He could hide from Eve, but he couldn't hide from God. And so... He made the mistake, the blunder of thinking that God was like a man. God's not like us, not like we are. God cannot be hidden from. In Genesis 16, there's a beautiful story about Sarai's handmaid, Hagar. You remember Sarai proposed that Abram, her husband, lie with her handmaid and Archaeologists have dug up over in the old city of Babylon a library. And in their books of that age of Abraham, it was customary for barren women to give a handmaid to the husband and let the handmaid be the mother of a child. She's my slave. She belongs to me. Everything she has is mine. If she had a son, it's mine. And so Sarai proposed that Abraham lie with Hagar. He did. She conceived and Hagar, uh, Sarai made it rough on her. She made it hard on her, and Hagar ran away. 
And in verse 14, God appeared to Hagar a few verses earlier than that. And then down in verse 14, she named a well there, Beer Laharoi. Now that doesn't mean anything to me, and it didn't until I studied the meaning of it, the definition. And the Hebrew word Beer Laharoi means the God that sees me. This is the well of the living one who sees me. Thou, God, seest me. Now, do you believe that? you believe God sees you? Doesn't that motivate us to keep our hearts pure and live right and make our lives acceptable in God's sight? Because he sees us. He knows us. There are many other passages that teach about God. One of them is in Psalms 139. I want Brother Rogers to come and read for us from Psalms 139 this morning. And I want you to listen. I want us to read the whole chapter. Because in it, we have a tribute to God, a description of his awareness of us at all times. Come and read so they can hear you over the microphone. Begin with verse 1. O Jehovah, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou searchest out my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Jehovah, thou knowest it altogether. Doesn't that make us want to talk the right way? If God knows every word we say... We certainly ought to watch our speech and guard our language every day that we live. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's amazing. It's too wonderful for me to fully understand it. God knows everybody. And the population of the world is rapidly approaching five billion. And God knows five billion people all at the same instant. And those are our words, our hearts, our thoughts. I can't comprehend that. That's beyond me. It's like computers. They're just out of my grasp. I can't imagine what all they'll do. Years ago, they thought they'd have a computer that man could have made it and that would regulate some of the operations of a car, but it would have taken a three-story building to house the thing. When they had to have tubes radio tubes and things like that. They said it'd take a three-story building to house it. Then they decided that just a matter of 10 years passed by. They had some ways to change the circuitry. They could have made that thing and it'd fill the trunk of a car and it'd oper operate that car. A few more years passed by, 10 more, and now they're making them about the size of an English walnut and sticking them under the hood of your car, and nearly all new cars have them. Now, that, I can't imagine a thing like that. It, it just goes beyond me, but read on. God's far better than, and more wonderful, marvelous than a computer. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, Surely the darkness shall overwhelm me, and the light about me shall be night. Even the darkness hideth not from thee. You can't hide from God even in the dark. He sees even in the dark. He knows everything. Read but on. the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst cover me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks unto thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the idea that God is aware of us even before we're born shows clearly that abortion is sinful. It's murder. The only three changes that take place in a little baby from the moment of conception until he dies, an old man or old woman, the only three changes that take place, number one, growth, development. Number two, place of residence. Number three, means of receiving nourishment and oxygen. The only three changes. He just moves from outside the mother's body to inside to outside at birth. Changes his way of receiving nourishment from the umbilical cord and then growth and development. That's the only changes. And it's wrong, therefore, to kill. And here the psalmist is saying, God formed me. Didn't just form a blob of flesh. Form me. And thus I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Read on further. Wonderful are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, even the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloodthirsty men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Jehovah, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. They are become mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you, Brother Rogers, for reading. You can see that this is David's tribute to God. What a marvelous description it is of his almighty power, his infinite knowledge of every one of us. And this is true of all people, all the five, nearly five billion people that now live. In just another few years, it'll be five billion souls on earth. And God knows us, every one. We cannot hide our, our, our matters, our lives from God. In First Chronicles 28, we're told that the Lord searcheth all hearts. He doesn't know just how we live. He knows what made us do this or that. He knows our hearts, our motives. In the 15th chapter of Acts, in connection with the conversion of Cornelius, the Jews who had had racial prejudice against Gentiles, Peter said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. So uh, that's in the first chapter of Acts, Acts 1 and 24. Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen to take the place of Judas.
rather than in connection with the con conversion of Cornelius. And in act, in the case of Cornelius, in Acts uh, 15, uh, it said that God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And so God put no difference between Jews and Gentiles. God knoweth the hearts. He knows our lives. He knows all about us. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Daniel, the second chapter, has a statement like that five or six times in that one chapter. God revealeth secrets. He not only knows the secrets, but is able to reveal them through an inspired man like Daniel. He knew the secrets of the future. He could even reveal when the church is going to be established on down in verse 44. And he knew that, though it was hundreds of years in the future, more than 600 years away. And God revealed the secrets. I wish you'd turn to Ezekiel 8, Brother Rogers, and read once more for us. And in verse uh, 8, uh, 11, and 12 will be the two verses we'll want. Ezekiel 8. This is what some of the old men among the Israelites were saying, and God re rebuked them for it. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel. Elders, that's those older men. The word elder means primarily, it's a term relating to age, comparative in degree, older than some others. Elders of the house of Israel. Read on. And in the midst of them stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan, every man with a censer in his hand, and the odor of the cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? God asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel, he called him son of man, Ezekiel, have you seen what these old men are doing? These elders of the house of Israel are doing where? In the dark. In the dark. See, they hide themselves in secret place. Every man in his chambers He goes of into his little closet where he's got his images on a shelf. A heathen god or an idol of some kind, and he's got it in a closet in a secret chamber for his gods. You see what they do in the dark in the secret closet in there? For they say, Jehovah seeth us not, Jehovah hath forsaken the land. Those old men of the house, wait just a minute, turn to chapter 11. And those old men of the house of Israel say, God doesn't see us, He doesn't know anything about this. Look at 11 5. And God said, And the Spirit of Jehovah fell upon me, and he said unto me, Speak, thus saith Jehovah. Thus have you said, O house of Israel. Thus have you said. Well, what did they say? Back there in chapter 8, they said, God doesn't see us. He's forsaken the earth. God doesn't know anything about our idolatry. What did he say? For I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied. The King James Version adds, Every one of them. Every one of them. I know the things that come into your mind. God said, this is what you've been saying, thus and thus have you said. And you thought the Lord forsaken the earth, God doesn't know it. You're wrong about it. I do know. Thank you for reading. So we need to enlarge our understanding of God Almighty. We need to understand that he does know. In connection with the sin of David with Bathsheba, God said to David later, said, Thou didst it secretly but didn't say a secret. Here we are 3,000 years later talking about it. It wasn't a secret then. And God brought public shame and reproach on David because as a consequence of that. Second Samuel 12. 
in Psalms 44, He knoweth the secrets of the heart. In Jeremiah 23, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? God said, I fill the whole world. You can't hide from me. When Jesus taught his disciples not to pray publicly to be seen of men, not to give their alms out in public to be seen of men, he said, you pray to your Father in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret. God sees you even in secret. Over and over this principle is announced in the New Testament. Matthew 6 and verses 4 and 6 and 18, and also in Mark the fourth chapter in Luke the eighth chapter that nothing is hid from God in Acts 1 and 24 I quoted it a moment ago when they chose Matthias to take the place of Judas their prayer said thou Lord which knoweth the hearts of all men our sins are not secret from God in closing let me remind you that God's going to bring the secret things into judgment in Psalms 90 Thou hast, in verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. God's God going to bring them into judgment. In Ecclesiastes 12, in verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now you may know that verse. Do you know the next one? For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or bad. God's going to bring it into the judgment someday. In Romans 2.16, Paul said, God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, Paul said that we're not to be critics of one another, therefore judge nothing before the time. He's not saying that it's wrong to form conclusions based on evidences, but he's saying that when the Lord comes, he'll both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest, bring it out into the open, make it apparent, make manifest the counsels of the hearts. God knows our hearts. And our secret sins may not be as secret from people as we think they are. And they may not stay a secret. They'll crop up later on. They'll come out. Just this morning I heard about some men, one man that was been deported from the United States to Russia. He'd been cried, tried in absentia in Russia, had found haven in the United States became a U.S. citizen, but he was stripped of his citizenship after the Supreme Court ruled that we were going to send him back to Russia. He had killed 12,000 Jews during the Second World War, or soon thereafter, and they sent him back yesterday, put him on board a plane, and sent him back to Russia. He had kept, kept it from vengeance from catching up with him for all these years, but now he's being deported stripped of his U.S. citizenship, sent back over there, and he's under a death penalty already over there. And so it's very likely he'll be executed. But there's justice that's demanded. And we must understand that God is going to judge the secret things, bring every work into judgment. With every, 
whether it's good or bad, even if it's in secret, God's going to bring it out. Let's repent, therefore, of our secret sins. Now, there's no need to make a public confession for a secret sin. Make it right with you and God. Keep it a secret. Let that be the end of it. Let the blood of Christ wash it away. If it is a personal matter, there's no need to make a public confession for that. Keep it personal. If it's still private, keep it private. But the only, pub, only sins that need to be publicly confessed are the sins that are already publicly known. And 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 10 and verse 32 or 33, the last verses of the chapter, he said, Give none offense, neither to the Jew nor the Gentile, neither to the church. There are some sins that offend the church. If I were to get drunk away from Jasper while I'm down here this week, if I were to get drunk and be arrested for drunk driving, convicted of drunk driving, that wouldn't be a sin against James Rogers or Ed Collins or any of you individually. It'd be a sin against the church. It'd be a sin, if I'm assuming it's a newspaper to say he's in the revival at the Church of Christ. If it said that, why, or the preacher of the Church of Christ, why, it'd be a reproach on the whole church. And a private confession to God in my private prayers wouldn't be enough to take care of that. Repentance at Jasper is not what's needed. I need to repent where it's known. And the announcement of the repentance be made where the sin's known. It just seems to me we need to use some common sense and good logic conclusions that are, ought to be apparent to everybody when we do some sober thinking. You're wonderful listeners. Thanks for your attention. May God help us to live close to Him, love His Word, love the Lord thy God with all our heart. Everything else will take care of itself. If, the, if you do that first and love your neighbors yourself, Jesus said on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's keep our hearts pure, live right, do good. And some sweet day, when this life's over, God will gather us home. Let's stand and sing.